Hi guys, welcome to another episode of We Ain't Got No Pat Podcast. This is your host, Jay Wilmington. Very fortunate to be joined by lead editor and site manager of We Ain't Got No History, David Pastor, today. David's been really with We Ain't Got No History pretty much since the beginning, going back to 2010, and kind of took over as the as the site manager and lead editor in 2015, and um, certainly someone that I've read countless articles from, and a guy that I have a lot of, uh, I really helped shape a lot of my Chelsea fandom and, and opinions. So, David, thanks for joining me here today. Oh, no, no problem. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here on our site podcast, I suppose. It's yeah. only, it's only yeah. fitting to be here. Yeah, we got, we figured we got to have you. I mean, since you're, right. since you're the All guy right. that leads the way. So, you know, this, I find this kind of an interesting time here, obviously, in, in Chelsea. We don't have any, you know, actual football to talk about unless you really want to get into, you know, you wait for Nations League. Nations League. Everybody whatever. loves the Nations right? League. But uh, what we do have is obviously what Chelsea always has is a lot of um, drama and a lot of uh, uncertainty. And this time around, it's a little bit takes a little different shape because we're obviously in a it just we're not really in a transition, I guess, anymore. We have transitioned, but um just an unbelievably yeah. big change for the club, seeing Roman depart after, I think, 19 years. And, um, you know, yeah. I, just from all your time with him and the site, like, what's how does that feel to be thinking about a Chelsea <laughs> going forward without Roman? It's, I mean, it, it is, it is uh, literally unprecedented for a lot of us. I mean, he had been here for 19 years, and that means an entire generation, perhaps two generations of Chelsea fans, basically grown up through their formative years of, of not knowing anything other than an Abramovich-led Chelsea. And that certainly set expectations and certainly set uh, certain behaviors in t- transfer market or, or with managers, things like that. And uh, it's, I mean, my fandom began in the, in the late 90s. So, you know, before this whole Abramovich uh, craziness uh, began in the early 2000s and but even for me, I was trying to think back, like, I can't really uh, remember what it was like to support uh, uh, Chelsea without or before Abramovich. And so I think for if it's tough for me and I can remember, you know, players, but I cannot really remember the feeling as much. It's going to be, I think, very interesting um, to see how uh, expectations, how reactions among uh, fans evolve depending on uh, how, how the club's methods and the way we go about doing business change. Be very interesting to, I think it'll be very interesting to compare maybe in a few months, maybe in a year, to, to see what the, the general, uh, the feeling and the general uh, mood of the, of the, of the fan, the fan club or the fan base might be. Absolutely. And I, you know, I don't know yeah. if you have any particular thoughts on, you know, the specific ownership group, this Clear Lake Capital Bully group, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard with such longevity. I, you know, there's certain superstar athletes. You almost think of a little that way, like a Michael Jordan or some of these people that come along or, you know, obviously tons in the soccer world where, a, where a player leaves and then there's this void where they've kind of been the face of the club for so long. Uh, but it's so hard for the next guy. And I guess it's a little different with ownership than, than a player, uh, yeah. or you know, a star player, but you know, the ex the bar's pretty, pretty hard to, it's hard to even know where it is. And even if you do um, pretty well, you're right. going to have a uh, pretty mega legacy to kind of be um, shadowed I mean, against, you know, so. Right. I, we often talk about, 
I mean, we look at uh, like Ferguson's departure from Manchester United. You know, they struggle to replace him very, very much. Same with Arsene Wenger, people who uh, define a club. And, and like you said, we normally think of players or coaches that define clubs. But for us, just the way Abramovich had gone about um, essentially guiding Chelsea or, or, you know, constantly funding the team, it's... When you think of Chelsea, you think of, you know, you certainly think of some players, but then you immediately think of Abramovich. And he had been, uh, even though he was rarely ever seen, certainly in the last few years and almost never talked, uh, he is the play, he was, the, he's the person that you associate with Chelsea the most over the last uh, uh, couple of decades, other than obviously the, the obvious legends and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, and, and like you said, following him, will be a challenge because we have certain expectations and certain um, business practices that we've, so to speak, that we've become used to. And that's that's practically impossible for anybody to to follow at this rate, uh, except for maybe had we been bought by, a, you know, a little country. But that didn't happen. So instead, we're, um, <laughs> we're going with the more modern uh, ownership model of conglomerates or whatever consortiums and private equity and and people looking at the at the bottom line more so than you know what striker shall i buy this year sort of uh approach to uh to team building and that's going to be i think that's going to be the major change and we're used to one one way of doing thing and that wasn't always necessarily successful i mean you know buying players like shevchenko or fernando torres was Probably not the uh, the wisest football decision, but it was what the owner wanted, and you know he threw the threw the cash at the club and said, "Make it happen." And so we did. And it's kind of it's kind of the way if if just a, a regular fan would have owned uh, would have owned a club, or how you might own your team in Football Manager or FIFA. And, you know, it's essentially fantasy football, and uh, you know it's tough it's tough to call Abramovich a regular guy, but at the end of the day, he was just a fan. With a lot of money, and uh, he made he he put that money to to his hobby or to his interest, and in, which was just happened to be Chelsea Football Club. Well, and it's so following that is, is oh sorry, keep continue. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, that's fine. <laughs> I was just gonna say, following that is you know good luck to Bowley and and those guys. I mean, they seem to have their um, minds and hearts in the right place. Certainly, saying the right the the, the right things. And uh, Bowley has uh, seemingly thrown himself, you know, full, fully into this. He's practically moved to London at this point. He's uh, he's been at all the games I think since it was announced, and I think we managed to win one finally. So yeah. that got over that hurdle. Yeah. Um, got used to late this... season slump already. So right, yeah. yeah. Welcome to the late yeah. season collapse. <laughs> I I just as an aside, I really appreciated. I think it was the very first game where we gave up the late equalizer mm-hmm. and the cameras panned to him in the, uh, in the owner's booth. And he had his head, his head is literally in his hands with that screenshot going around Twitter. Yep. So, you know, well, welcome to the Chelsea experience. That's Todd. right. He got his, he got his really <laughs> indoctrinated early, really, at least from once he was, right? yeah, I mean, it's like too know, late it's... to back out now, Todd, this is your, yeah. game, so, you know, we can all yeah. start blaming you for this, you know? Um, right. But, yeah. yeah. Just, but I find it so you, interesting because you get... Abramovich, he, he, you know, that's one thing I've, I, I'm watching this and it's always really fun to the best, one of the 
most fun things to tease all our rivals and to uh, imagine them hmm. sort of from a club perspective falling apart. And, you know, we see around the league right now some clubs that are, you know, historic clubs who have some real challenges. But one of the things I found somewhat amusing was the the constant laughing, so to speak, at at the club about, you know, oh, now without Abramovich, everything's going to, you know, you're going to go back to the way it was before him. And, you know, it's just not, that's not where we're at in this size of a club in world football anymore. Now that doesn't mean that the, the money that comes in is going to run your club. Uh, I found it really interesting. You just point out as a, you know, the fan side of Abramovich. Yeah, he had the money, but he ran that club as a fan and that I don't know that we'll see because these structures to have the money, they aren't these personal piggy banks like he had. They're right. these incredible, you know, they're built on a financial model that I think even take a Manchester United that, I, you know, part of a lot of their frustration around the club is that they're not particularly motivated to change the way they're doing things because they are financially stable and successful despite not really reaching the successes they've had in, you know, rec- in, right. in the years and the what people are used to in their gore years. So yeah. that I think to me, not, not the fear, but I think that's what you just don't know mm-hmm. going into these situations right. because it's gonna, to me, I, yeah, obviously he's a very capable guy. And so will a lot of these people be um, just as business people and financial people, but they're not football people. So I, I, my, my, my expectation is they understand they're not, and they're going to make sure they get the right people there, but that's Hopefully, a whole, yeah, right. But, right. That, but again, that's a little bit of, you know, blue tinted glasses. Cause that's, that's, if it's not that way, you I mean, can, you could see some, some concerns, yeah. but you, you, know, you, yeah. Um, you would, you would hope, I mean, Bowley's put in the right or well, we, they associate Bowley with the LA Dodgers, but he's really just a minority owner. So I don't actually really know how much say he has in how that team is run, but he does have the other guy uh, from the Dodgers here as partner as well. Uh, Mark Walter, I believe was mm-hmm. his name. I mean, one of the reasons the Dodgers have been kind of the sort of dominant force in baseball, as much as I know about Major League Baseball, is because they put the right people in charge and gave him the funding, the necessary funding to keep the team at the at the top of the, the not just the not just the money charts, but like the talent charts or the amount of talent available. And that's how you win. Uh, that's how you win championships. And Bowley said that's his model. You know, he wants to build a championship team. And if the team is good, then people will come to the stadium. It's pretty simple. And so hopefully uh, he does some sort of version of that model that also applies to Premier League football, which, you know, does have the threat of relegation, which you never have to deal with in American sports because you can, you can be terrible and make enough money to satisfy your investors and, and your shareholders. And, and continue continue on your merry way year after year. You don't have to worry about being relegated like Everton almost, you know, flirted with relegation this year, and that would have been an absolute disaster for them because they're they're not set up to <laughs> for that loss of income at well, all. Oh, and the Dodgers. And none, I mean, not, none none of, the, none of the teams would be really at the top. Yeah, and you know, the Dodgers. Not that this has been their model per se, but even they're in a sport where, to some degree there's a tanking element to succeeding because like you said, there's no relegation the the bottom doesn't drop out. And so again, maybe that hasn't been, they've kind of more built through the draft and trading, but, and an infinite salary cap, but um, you know, I, yeah, I, I'm interested. So the, so the neck kind of leads us into the next thing. And we talk about the, you know, famous instability of the managers and the stability of Mm -hmm. Roman. And now suddenly things are a little bit flipped. I don't know if, you know, Thomas Tuchel is officially, you know, uh, long standing uh, he hasn't been here forever but <laughs> but 
compared to the lifespan right. of Chelsea and manager and right now with all everybody else potentially changing, um, you know, how, do, what is your particular just kind of overall take on the fact that he's kind of going to be the center point and maybe even kind of with the transfer business this summer? I mean, I think for the Abramovich era, we had maybe three managers who uh, lasted more than uh, officially more than two seasons. And I'm counting Conte because he took preseason of the third season before he got to, he got his uh, marching orders. But I think Mourinho was the only, pretty much the only other guy who made ever made it past two years. And Tuchel at 18 months uh, almost makes him one of the longest serving managers now in the Abramovich era. So it's kind of interesting to um, to hear this from the ownership in that sense, just because it's very different from what we've come become used to and in that sense people want this it seems like if you know if you just take a kind of a a general survey of twitter i want to say or you know our blog comments it's people are pretty excited by this idea of of giving tuchel the so you know the wheel the keys to the bus i hope the wheels don't fall off like i mentioned united but um we will have to see. I think it's um, Tuchel has one year left on his contract at the moment. That doesn't really speak to me as long term. I'm sure it's on on the agenda of the the very very long agenda that they have to address this summer of transfers and and personnel changes. Um, so that I would like to see that extended first before I truly buy into this idea that Tuchel is 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 our Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp, or Wenger, Ferguson, all that. Uh, you know, throughout throughout the twenty years of Abramovich, people often wanted to be, always wanted to, or often wanted us to find our Ferguson and our Wenger, and we didn't need it because that was not the model. If we say now, okay, this is the Tuchel model, and that's what we're doing, okay, that's fine. But you do actually really have to commit to that, and maybe survive a couple bad years. And 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 not not do the not do the knee jerk firing, which you know the definition of knee jerk these days is not necessarily uh, that long or that short, however you want to put it, because you know you have you have to keep winning. If you fall out of the top four and you don't make Champions League, that's a massive that's a massive loss, and maybe you survive one year without it. But certainly can't do two. So my I like this idea, but my concern, and I kind of, I think I wrote about this a little bit, but my concern is that saying that Tuchel is now in charge of our transfers is basically like super old school. It's um, what we, what professional football might have done for, you know, hundred of the last hundred ten years is you know bringing the manager. Okay, here's the manager. What players does he want? Bring in those players. What players does he need? Sell those players, and maybe that worked maybe that didn't if they if you found the right manager then you were manchester united and you were dominant for 20 some years but if not then you end up with a squad we kind of have right now where we have a lot of deadwood uh, a lot of a lot of big contracts of useless players and that was fine with abramovich because he could always cover for us just put in more cash it's fine you know we can we can afford to let 
Bakayoko and Drinkwater and, and, you know, all these tens, Morata, all these guys essentially waste tens, hundreds of billions, not just in transfer fees, but in, in wages on these players. But without Abramovich, we don't have that safety net. So any, any transfers you make are, you have your hit rate of good transfers versus bad transfers has to be a lot better. And I do mean a lot, a lot better because we've, we have, we have some, we have some great, uh, acquisitions over the last 20 years, you know, not in, not just the biggest ones, but like, you know, Aspilicueta players like that for basically pennies on the dollar. Uh, even somebody like Gary Cahill, who at the time we thought we were overpaying for him in terms of wages, certainly, but he turned out to be, you know, an excellent, an excellent player for us. Um, Golo Conte. So, you know, yeah. another one. Yeah. Angolo Conte, obviously. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. saying like every every player we bought was gonna is a bad. No, but we could be here signing. all night if we start talking about the other side of that coin, you know. It's it is yeah, and it is kind of funny because it seems like, and I have this is not a scientific uh, statement or anything, but it seems like the more money we spend on a player, the worse they kind of end up turning out for us. And I'm sure a lot of that is because with more money come more expectations. You know, if uh, getting Lukaku back for a hundred million. Uh, suddenly, increased expectations on him a lot more than when we signed him for ten million as a teenager. You know, twelve year, twelve years ago, or however long ago it was. So I'm sure that's that's part of it. But our our uh, big investments in the transfer market don't necessarily seem to work out. I mean, Conte was a bargain. At, I don't even remember. Maybe thirty million. It was. That's with that's with add-ons. Yep. You know, somebody like Ben Chilwell. Uh, we paid a lot for Ben Chilwell, and that's mm-hmm. turned out quite well so far. It's not been that long, so yeah. you know we'll see a couple, a couple of years. So you know, you made an interesting. I don't know. That's that's a that's a rambling answer, I think, to that no, question. It's but an, uh, <laughs> it's an excellent answer because I, well, and I, I'm putting you on the spot here because these are like nobody can answer yeah. these questions at all because they're all this right. like well, in a year from now we'll all know what happened, but there's so much. Um, Unknown, obviously, whenever you get to yeah. a transfer window and sort of like, okay, like, where's your magic right. ball and who's going to come in? But but especially right now, we don't even, we think maybe Tuchel, but we don't know specifically what his targets are. We don't even know if he is right. the guy. We have and an idea maybe, but. And it's it just seems like it was, <laughs> it seemed like a random story kind of that the club planted in the media. That's that's my reading of it, just the way, the, the way these things come already. out. And <laughs> when, <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, um when the way certain stories get published by certain authors and yep. certain outlets at certain times you kind of know who is is doing what you know i mean football journalism if you want to call it journalism i'm not a professional journalist by any means but it's not journalism in the way you think of classic investigative you know hard hitting journalism i mean it's mostly I have a source, they told me something, and here is a story out of it. That's pretty much it. So you're part of the fun of covering football is is looking behind, trying to look behind stories, reading between the lines as to who who gave this story, who does it benefit, that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, so it outcomes from the club that we're giving Tuchel all this power, right? He's going to be our transfer. Don't call him a transfer czar because, you know, yeah. All the associations. Yeah. But, <laughs> totally, yeah. Well, yeah especially with the Russian connections now, I guess a good point. <laughs> so, what? Oh, man. Sh- shifting a little, like, so, you know, this 
won't necessarily probably going to bring in some center backs. I mean, you know, Rudiger officially with Madrid, Christensen's leaving, gone. Um, I don't think, you know, necessarily, you know, uh, Masanda and Jay Clark Salter and Danny Drinkwater um, will make too big of an impact with their departures. But, uh, you know, obviously with Rudiger and Christensen there too, those are, those are big departures, especially without getting any incoming fees. Obviously, there was big talk last summer about Jules Kunde, and that sounded like it was going to happen. And it just it was the it was the two step that never really you know they never really came together. And so, I, I maybe that's maybe that's one target. Surely we'll see some center backs, but but just generally outside the individuals, um, you know, we saw a lot of three center back system from Thomas Tuchel last year. Um, I don't know if you felt like that was. Yeah, it worked for a while, and it worked pretty well. I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't even say for a while. We saw kind of that. You know, we, we kind of tongue-in-cheek joked a little about the late season collapse, but it, it was kind of that. There wasn't a lot of pressure on us. But, um, you know, do, do you think that this summer is about going out and getting targets to fit the system we've seen? Or do you or would you like to see or imagine yeah. we'll see sort of a shift in structure? Right. Yeah, actually, that was my half-finished story from the previous question or half-finished thought was basically we don't know if, what Tuchel is like as a transfer leader because – well, maybe in other teams he was kind of like that, but at PSG he butted heads with the sporting director, and that's why that kind of that thing went sour. And uh, he's kind of mellowed a little bit. He spoke a lot about that when he first joined Chelsea that he needs to be a bit more mellow. And he also spoke a lot about uh, being just a pure coach. And that's I found that a, a very welcome reading of the situation that he was coming into. He knew, you know, he understood the the what managing Chelsea under Abramovich entailed and he fully bought into that and he found success very well. So now that the parameters have changed and he has more power, uh, we actually have no idea what he's going to do because the way, the way he approached the Chelsea job was here are the players that I have. Let me try to make the best team out of this as I can with the, with the primary intention of being hard to beat. And that was from day one, he shaped up the defense, which struggled mightily under Lampard. And the attack, you know, kind of fell by the wayside a little bit. And I think that's, we expect great attack and great defense, but that's very, very rare in football. Um, if you play, if you focus on the defense, your attack will naturally suffer. And if you focus on the attack, your defense will naturally suffer. We, we've seen both of those at Chelsea over the years. I mean, Lampard's attack was great. His defense was terrible. Uh, Di Matteo's attack after the, the Champions League victory was great because he had Hazard and Mata and Oscar, and that was some of the highest-scoring Chelsea teams we've seen in a long time. But at the same time, we were shipping goals left, right, and center. So it's, you know, those those solutions are kind of, that's what I expect, Um Shape, uh, making a great defensive team uh, also score a lot of goals is is very rare and it's maybe not something that we should necessarily expect. And I'm not saying that Tuchel cannot do it. And obviously there are plenty of teams out there, or not plenty, but there are teams out there who score a lot of goals and can see very few goals. Mostly, usually they're the best teams in the world, such as Manchester City or Liverpool, and you can go about it multiple different ways. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to accuse Manchester City of having a really, really good defenders or a really good defense, but if they don't give the opposition the ball, then they won't ever score against them. So, I mean, there's multiple ways you can go about this. 
the point being, we just don't really know if if Tuchel, if he's given this control, if he's gonna be, if he's gonna stick with the the three center back situation, if he thinks that's, uh, if like that's a, a system that he's really wedded to, you know, I mean, I think if if we had somebody like Conte, you know, he's a systems coach, like he's gonna always coach a system and he's gonna try to get players to fit that one particular system. You know, maybe he varies the formation a little bit, but it, at the end of the day, it's always going to be the same. But Tuchel, I mean, at Chelsea, he's been pretty defensive. At previous uh, teams like Dortmund, he was he was lauded for his his attacking um, creativity and and success. So maybe that's what he's going to do. But I think first of all, first off, he's going to um, the players that we do still have. You know, we don't have Rudiger, we don't have Christensen, but we do have Thiago Silva. And I think it's tough to not play Silva at this point. And if we do play Thiago Silva, I think you have to play a three center back formation. So that's my assumption is that we're going to continue with that at least for this this coming season and look for players to fill those two positions next to him, next to Thiago Silva, that is. So somebody like Kunde. Is, is obviously uh, an option because he he's played in a three center back uh, system quite a quite a bit, mostly on the right side, and um, somebody you need somebody on the left side. Um, we obviously have players coming back from loan. Uh, Levi Colwell, uh, I think I rate him very highly. I don't know how highly Tuchel will rate him, but uh, you know the success of Trevor Chaloba kind of gives us hope that uh, he will continue to take the best of our academy who who do stick around for more than a minute after graduating and don't, don't immediately leave uh, maybe they'll get a they'll get a, a chance you know I mean Malang Sar I mean I guess he's an option he's don't a body see him as our left back while Joel recovers next season I, I'm yeah, I think I'm, I think I mean, he may unfortunately, see opportunities but we'll be better off if it's not yeah unfortunately game. i'm not i'm not really seeing the the top talent that once was was there but uh yeah. well it's interesting yeah kunde like, is, is, a, is, a, is a good choice i, I think I, I think he's well again it's sort of easy to say because it's been circling each other for so long but I, it's got to happen eventually it seems like and i i i personally would really like to see no matter what we do to not i understand very well and i think he was very adept at that right center back position but you know reese james is is Right. unparalleled as a threat down the right side. And <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, James was used a lot because Aspilicueta's legs it, exactly, have absolutely ex- gone exactly now. Right. He, exactly, right. Exactly. He can't he can't play that right center anymore. But it's so interesting because if you are going to play, you know, you've already lost Christensen and Rudiger, which, again, maybe that's not that position, that right center back, but you're, you're, you're less center backs. And if you're going to play a three center back system, which I completely agree with you, if you're going to, Tiago Silva now is is even more uh, as he ages, still going to be so important next season, and so you can't sort of move, uh, you know, to a system that phases him out or doesn't. But right. now you've moved to a system that's going to require even more center backs that you depth don't have. So, you know, there's certainly it's certainly hard to see how you have the depth all of a sudden that Reese James like, oh yeah, he doesn't have to come in there at all this season because he we've got the depth you know, right center and left there. I, I do hope that Colwell will get that chance. I get to see him play quite a bit this year in the championship and it's obviously very different league, but um, I, you know, he, he's, he's built for the Premier League and, and I think from that left center center back yeah. position is can, could be 
um, could flourish. And, and again, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but I think you're really wise to note that where we're at right now, and particularly with Diego Silva at the fulcrum, um, it would be a little unexpected to suddenly come out playing, you know, a, some kind of four back system all the time, right? You know, maybe in certain situations, yeah. but um, I suppose you never know. You know, maybe he's a he's a little tactical genius, and he'll cook up something that none of us expect. Yep. Well, hey, but, he's certainly uh, going to have a better chance to do that than I would. That's um, and <laughs> you know, but I, it's oh, easy for me on. to sit here and I've got all kinds of advice for him. So you know. Um, right. Yeah. I, I would like to advise that we sign Milan Skriniar. Yeah. Well, I really talk, like him right? as a player. Would you, would you, uh, yeah, we yeah, him up, would you get, would you, Lukaku, since we brought him up and he's connected kind of in a strange, faraway way, you know, if just from Romelu, do you think he will be here come, you know, that's close to the transfer window? I, he's been a guy that pretty much makes it really clear what he wants and, and it would be, I would be very surprised if he was still here. Yeah, and and you know it what, doesn't seem to make any any sense in terms of in terms of creating tactically creating like harmony in the team. You know, it's 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 unfortunate. I'm I'm kind of sad about it all because yep. I really wanted Lukaku to work out, and I was very excited when he came back because it it felt like the perfect you know narrative football destiny completion. Of, of all that and, and written in the stars. Well, and it got off to such a great start too, you <laughs> know, that first month. And I think yeah, there yeah. wasn't like it never. Like four it wasn't goals like there in was four ne- games. Yeah, there wasn't like there was never a glimpse of it. He started to, oh yeah. man, and was so dominant and you just saw it. And then, yeah, there was obviously just kind of disappeared for so much of the season as far as touches and even just, you could see his feel. He felt like he was disappearing. Yeah, it seemed like. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I do wonder maybe, you know, when he writes an autobiography and, in 10, 10, 15 years, I want. I do wonder if, if, if there will be something that we just don't know, like what happened, because it's easy to blame that one interview or whatever. But I mean, it's just an interview. Yep. You know, it's it's. Well, I think people have recovered that. from interviews. It's yeah, you can get mad at him for the interview, but a, you know, from a human nature perspective, yeah. you saw a guy that was struggling, and and you know, again, whether you feel sorry for him or not, he clearly is. He was, and he continues to be, and I appreciate that he, you know, tried to kind of have right. the right face on it's a, it's always tough it's always tough to use because we don't know the personal situation yep. and i'm not saying there is a personal situation here but it's like i've seen it we've seen it happen many times before where something happens in in football and i mean you start blaming things like you know he's not putting in effort he doesn't want to be here he wants to leave etc cetera, etc cetera. and then a few years later something Something comes out when you're like, oh, well, that's what happened. You know, if that had happened to me, I, my performance at work would have suffered as well. And maybe I would have wanted to go back to wherever I was before or, or whatever. You know, yeah, I'm always absolutely. often reminded of uh, Hernan Crespo had a similar situation at Chelsea when he came here. That was at the he was one of the very first signings for Abramovich. And he kind of struggled the first year. And went back on loan to Italy and then I think came back for another year or something like that. And then like years after it came out that like he he had he had stuff like a loss of a child or something like that. And it was like something um yep. you know, I should have looked this up. But it was like massive extenuating personal circumstances when you're like, Well, okay, that kinda reflects on, you know, maybe why his performance uh, at work was not quite what you might have expected. When, yeah. when you sign the contract. So. <laughs> it's amazing how and little just, they look yeah. at looked at like people, right? I mean, I again, I 
Yeah. I get it. It's such a cliche in sports to the, well, you know, people make all that money and all it's a profession. Yeah, I get it. But we all have right. professions and oh, we all yeah. have emotions and lives. And I think about, you know, just the phases of life we all go through in our happiness and our health and our mental health and all those things. And those are going right. to happen seasonally yeah. in life to this the independent sometimes of the career that we're in. And those guys are dealing all that in an incredibly public perspective, you know, in, in a lens right. that you've got all that pressure on top. So yeah, it's, 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 it's harsh to say the least, especially without the, you know, hindsight to kind of even really know hmm. the details right. of what happened. Um, but I'm, I think generally speaking, if I had to, you know, guess I'm, I'm with you. I think he, he's, doesn't have a Chelsea shirt on come next season when we when things. Yeah, no, I they just need to figure out the the financial details. And like I said, if if that means that some an, uh, an inter player comes our way, which <laughs> makes for <laughs> always makes for great the transfer stories, deal, but like absolutely rarely rarely ever happens. I I can't even remember. Remember, I think Barcelona swapped a, a player the other couple years ago, and that was like, you know, oh my god, it actually happened. There was a swap deal, but. It makes for it makes for a good transfer stories. So if we do a part exchange, I would like my countryman, Milan Skriniar, to uh, to come to Chelsea. Absolutely, he would be a fantastic he addition. Is, and I don't, I don't know if you think he's anything. A, he's a unit. They're trying to get us to get Dumfries instead. I think, right? Isn't that what you were? I was looking and I, well, Dumfries is a is a, a fullback. So, yeah, well, I mean, we can get both. I, Why not? Both? I was gonna say honestly, we could we could use a little depth at least. <laughs> give for give, a give me all your tired, tired. That's that's right. Well, um, I won't keep you too long. I really so much appreciate you joining me, and I'm hoping that um, I can you know borrow uh, steal you when we get closer to the season. Kind of we can circle back on yeah, some yeah. of these conversations yeah. and kind of see what Definitely. you know with a little hindsight where we look heading into the season. Yeah, uh, but I'll get you we'll, out of here. We'll on see this. if any. Yeah, any I, of my deep thoughts have it had uh, any uh, I, <laughs> any relevance in two months? <laughs> we'll check back. We've got it. We've got it recorded now, so we'll 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 be able to check. Oh uh, yeah, it's and, no going uh, back now. So, last question I'll get you out of here on is, you know, there are besides kind of what we've talked about here, there are so many elements to the behemoth that is Chelsea Football Club, um, and you know, again, when we talk about the kind of specific to Abramovich, but at least. There's been, if not everybody's agreed on the model the club's been run, there's certainly been a kind of understood model, whether it be the, you know, large youth academy and, and people griping about, you know, too many low knees or do we use it just for, you know, offsetting profits or what, whatever it is. You, you kind of, we understood what that was. And then obviously here, even, um, I think even if Roman's here right now, it's an interesting time there with the youth because you've started to see a lot of guys see that they can get first team time other clubs and and you know still we've got also you look at our club right now we've got a ton mm -hmm. of our guys in the women's team is a huge focus of mine it's a great focus for the club right now i was excited to see um two signings here in the last week um for for the chelsea women and big signings um i'm incredibly excited about keisha buchanan um and what she'll bring to the team mm -hmm. but you know in that vein it's nice to see that that the that the change in ownership didn't you know totally freeze business but obviously that wasn't you know the new group didn't come in and in a, a week pick these targets for for the women's team. They, you know, kind of like okay, that we'll we we'll kind of. If you read the Daily Mail, though, that's well, exactly what happened. You right, know? he gets credit. He personally. I can't, I can't believe Reese James goal. hasn't been given a new contract well, for the first ten I, days I, of I the Tottenham era. Exactly. He's definitely leaving for Real Madrid tomorrow. Exactly. So you know, 
Sorry. No, absolutely. This is exactly what I'm talking about, though. We've got all these different things. And then, of course, there's the stadium conversation, which got put on ice, you know, even prior to all this Abramovich drama. We kind of had the, you know, we kind of had plans and we're moving forward. And then, you know, whether it was politics, probably was kind of between him and the country. It all just kind of, okay, I'm not going to put all that investment in. So, you know, we it does make sense that this new ownership group is going to try to, when you move in with a big name like Abram, it should somewhat reasonably kind of make a stamp or get yourself out of the shadow a little bit. Mm. At the same time, you know, they're not going to just go spend a uh, half a billion dollars willy nilly on it. Cause it's not this personal piggy bank. So I'm just really curious to know if you, where you would like to see, um, or even as a fan to kind of not just see, the, the quotes and the right things coming out of the media, but is there, you know, would you like to see the stadium conversation revitalized? Would you like to see them m- more focus on kind of resustainability of the youth academy or just like, hey, right now let's get kind of just the basic transition uh, yeah. boots on the ground and see where yeah. we're at in six months and let let the people in place kind of just tread water yeah. till then. Try, I'm trying to avoid very hard doing any snap judgments for at least the next six months, especially this summer. I think expect like, you know, as I was just saying, interrupting, (laughs) you know, expecting Bowley to really have any sort of tangible impact, immediate impact. It's it's not going to happen. He's, he's not a, well, he's not a new coach. So he's, he's not, he, none of his, he or none of his other directors or whoever else is coming in, they're not going to be involved directly in the club on day-to-day on the pitch so you know i think our expectation should be what we've seen for the last 18 months is pretty much what's going to continue you know if we keep tuchel in charge which sounds like we will we support him with with the right signings that he wants which apparently we are i think you know we have a solid solid if not excellent foundation to build from for long-term success not just this year you know to close to close this gap that we've been trying to close since 2017 to to Manchester City and, and Liverpool although we'll see if Liverpool can maintain their levels I think obviously City will but that's it's a conversation for another day um indeed but beyond that as far as like making their mark I think they would be wise as <laughs> say this as a wise uh you know sage advice to these really rich people as to what to do but I think if they want to make their mark, they will make their mark um, the same way Abramovich made it outside of the main headlines. And by that, I mean, we think of Abramovich, or not we, but you know, in the general media, the Abramovich era is big signings, lots of sackings, a lot of drama, that kind of stuff. But like you touched on earlier, Bully coming in, he's coming into a very different club and organization than it was 20 years ago before Abramovich. You know, we saw the men's team have great success, but in the last 20 years, we've built a world-class academy, perhaps the best in all of England. Uh, we built a world-class women's team, certainly the best in England, if, you know, very close in Europe. Uh, and that's that's all because uh, of the, the money and the, and the work that, or the, the support that uh, Abramovich gave the entire organization. And so in terms of long, the legacy of Abramovich isn't necessarily going to be the trophies and the players and all that. That nah, will be, you know, that's, I'm not saying that isn't part of the legacy, but his legacy is also making Chelsea just 
uh, such a, a world class organization and such such a higher level than where it was twenty years ago. And the only thing that Abramovich didn't get to was the stadium. So, like you said, um, if if Bowley and and Clear Lake, <laughs> private equity company Clear Lake, um, if they want to ensure that they do have a lasting legacy, if they're if they care about that, it then it's it's the stadium issue that they they do need to solve, and they need to solve it in a way that um, isn't just another random cookie cutter toilet bowl like. Spurs a stadium, which people seem to like Spurs a stadium, but I think it's just a very boring stadium. And if they do, I mean, it sounds like they're not they're not going to restart the plans that uh, Abramovich commissioned, which is unfortunate because I really like those. Um, but something similarly iconic, if could be developed piecemeal, or just keep Stanford Bridge, you know, in in in, in its current. Um, piece by piece kind of fashion where every stand is a little different, which adds, you know, amazing character and, and, and uniqueness, which cannot be replicated. You know, that's fine. If you want to update it stand by stand, which seems to be the plan, by the way, you know, that's, that's, I think that would be where I would judge them, not necessarily in the day to day funding the team, keeping the team, you know, well, uh, well, well moneyed, things like that. I think that's, that's a baseline expectation that, um, you kind of ha- would have from any any new owner, regardless uh, of who they were or what experience they might have had. But I think just in terms of creating a longer legacy, that's that sort of impact is what they should be looking to make. So, well, I know you said it tongue in cheek, but I I think you're actually very wise to say they should be asking you. You've been around this uh, club a lot longer than the, <laughs> those guys coming in. Well, so and uh, but no, I think call, call me Todd. Well, exactly. We're in the same time zone. Exactly. And, you know, he, he'll, uh, I'm sure he's listening to this. So uh, I, if your phone <laughs> hasn't already rung, keep it close for sure. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, David, thank you again for joining me. Uh, I will have you on again. And, uh, yeah, it was just uh, all you've done for both uh, the, the really just kind of keeping so many people have grown to the, the viewership and interest in the site over those years that you've been involved going back all the way since 2010 and since you took over in 2015. So thanks again for all you do there. And uh, we'll chat with you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me.